I am Simone Cipriani and I am an officer of the United Nations. And I'm Claire Press and I'm a sustainable fashion journalist. You are listening to the Ethical Fashion Podcast. We can change the world. This episode is about an interview, a conversation with Nisha Kanabar, creator of Industry Africa. Industry Africa is like this incredible online curated platform for emerging African designers. I love it. But this this conversation is a little bit different to some of the future ones where we've talked about how to make a brand more sustainable, how to do your due diligence. This time we're we're talking more about how we communicate that, right? Yes, indeed, how to communicate it to consumers, but also to investors. And actually, the investment opportunity here is enormous, right? Because you've got to get this stuff across the line if you're going to be chasing money in future. Indeed, and we speak also, we have in in this conversation also the possibility to speak about investment in this sector in the continent, in Africa, and role of angel investors and all this kind of stuff. You will find it interesting, I think. Also, Nisha is very glamorous and fabulous. She used to work at Condé Nast. Wow, she was to work at Condé Nast and she's very articulate and she speaks from Dar es Salaam, which is an incredible place. Tanzania, Tanzania and there are also a few words of Swahili in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but you're really going to have to follow Industry Africa if you don't already to find out about Nisha's incredible platform and many of the designers on there, you'll hear about them, are part of the EFI family. Yeah, they're part of the EFI Accelerator, Margot, Wong, Adebayo, and many others. So you will hear these names. Nisha. Nisha Kanaba from Industry Africa. Thank you so much for joining us on the Ethical Fashion Podcast. Simone, we're excited, aren't we? Are we are indeed excited. We're excited. We met rather recently according to EFI standards with Nisha and we immediately started collaborating together. It's incredible. Hello. Lots to discuss with you today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Honestly, the Ethical Fashion Initiative has been such a important collaborator for us, especially because you guys are continually and constantly churning out such incredible talent. So, you know, thank you for that. And I'm really excited to be having this conversation with you. Oh, that's lovely. Isn't it? It's super lovely. Thank you, Nisha. So let me start by firing the first question to you. Tell us about Industry Africa. Of course. I I guess you can say Industry Africa can be described as a global retail destination for African fashion and luxury that's really designed to elevate and integrate commerce, content, and community through an intuitive online platform. I created Industry Africa in 2018 as this answer to the media bias and the lack of cohesive and credible access to information on the industry that I'd observed at the time. Um, And in 2020, we launched a highly in-demand shopping experience and the rest is history. I love that you have such incredible designers on the platform. Obviously, Simone loves that there are also some EFI designer family members on there, Margot Wong, Giamini. Giamini, Margot Wong. And uh, Adebayo. Adebayo is there. No, it's part of the family is there with you, of course. What, tell us about how you choose the designers that you work with, Nisha. Also, Studio 189, love. Yes. A very old acquaintance and friend. <laughs> That's excellent. I'm, I'd say we have kind of two filters through which we onboard new African brands and designers. 
I would say there's probably a lot of overlap with the way you guys do it, but we have an eligibility framework in place for checks and balances to ensure that every brand that we onboard is ready for global distribution. And then we have the second, which is a little more implicit, and those are more curatorial principles, how we curate our designers. At Industry Africa, we tend to look for distinctiveness and diversity in the designers that we work with. It might be through innovative techniques, you know, unexpected ideas and cuts, design sensibilities, or by learning about the provenance of their collections. Um, I'd say what our designers might have in common is that each one is bursting with this intrinsically strong sense of identity and strength. Uh, they boast their own signature aesthetic. Uh, they have a sense of elevation. Um, but I personally love when labels defy what is expected. You know, they reinvent their roots, their techniques, their textiles. They draw from influences mm. to create entirely new design codes. Look at, you know, Nigeria's Nkwo or Emi Kazbet or South Africa's VBA. I like to think of it as this idea of, you know, everyday artisanship. When you take the principles of ready-to-wear and just you take them a little bit further through through sort of a unique artisanal lens and it, it, something quite interesting emerges from that. I love that. Getting to sustainability, Nisha, how important is sustainability for you? I read somewhere that you define sustainability as more than a buzzword. It's the foundation on which our business model is based. These are your own words. Let's talk about that. They're kinds of words you'd like, right? I do like them. <laughs> that's one of the reasons why we work together. Absolutely. More than a buzzword. <laughs> More than a buzzword. I think in beauty and fashion, I know you guys would agree with me, people throw around the term green and clean, right? I mean, it's so it's so undefined. They, they It's kind of this marketing jargon. There are these big vacuous words that can be a huge red flag. And that's why kind of this 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 buzzy term, people need to look beyond that with a, with a little more depth. Mm. Um, it was really, I think, important to me to communicate sustainability as something that was naturally integrated with our world. Um, at IA, we are quite simply redefining global community experiences with African fashion through the power of digital connectivity while bolstering the sustainable development of our regional ecosystem. Our building blocks are designed around the values of you know education problem solving and impact above everything and that when i say it's it's deeply woven in and deeply embedded into our ethos i really and truly mean that as, as industry africa we're relatively seasonless and we also support a made to order approach you know i think it's very important to foster the entire ecosystem from top to bottom whether that's consumer related whether that's uh, infrastructure related and promote conscious creation you know we work with designers who really build things to last you guys work with designers who build things to last mm, i'm, I'm going to ask you about what you said before about all those words like green and eco and people love to bandy them around do you think we were suffering from greenwashing to the point where even the word sustainable puts people off 100%. i mean maybe we need to use a different word right mm -hmm. i don't know indeed Absolutely. I think it's they bandied around just as much as people bandy around Africa as, as a whole country, as, as they used to say. Um, I, I think people, in order to sort of really understand what that means, first need to steer clear of those words. And secondly, they need to look deeper beyond greenwashing terms to see exactly what is being done. What are the actionable, measurable things that are being done in order to clearly define where that brand stands in that spectrum? transparency translates. I don't know if you've noticed, but there are a lot of designers that don't know how to tell their stories in the way that adequately does them justice. 
So we help them do that in a way that's thoughtful and in a way that's that that sort of can stand with the rest of them, in, in my opinion, because I believe I do believe that the product and the the creation and the and the the detail can stand with the best of, of design globally. Our product pages also speak to that. You know, each product page talks about the story, the details of artisanal crafts, the, the, the people that were employed to create that piece, the sustainability uh, aspects of that particular piece, uh, you know, transparency on sizing, things like that. Yeah, and, and I would like to know what you hear most frequently from this new generation of designers and creatives you work with around sustainability, on sustainability. What are the issues you hear most frequently from them? How do they frame the issue of sustainability in their own work and in their own narrative? With African designers, there's an inherent slowness and a, an inherent sort of um, resilience that their work is born from. You know, they draw from their own cultural and society influences. They draw from a need to operate with a no-waste approach as a result of their environments. Resources are limited. You know, there's a desire to operate um, and, and support, you know, the communities around them through their work to keep craftsmanship techniques alive um, and, and continually innovating. I also think sustainability is a really odd one regionally because there's such high levels of discarded clothing that come from the West through the secondhand clothing industry. Um, and, and, but, but what's be beautiful about it is that there are so many brands that have their own techniques where they upcycle these materials in the work that they, that they create. Um, so so I, I wouldn't say the relationship with sustainability is, is necessarily and always intentional. It's almost always very implicit. Um, it's, it's sort of this ethos that is perhaps born through resilience and this and the mentality of abundance versus lack. Anisha, on the website, you also talk about or you bring in this concept of financial sustainability. I'm obsessed with this because I think when we when we define sustainability as like climate goals or transparency, we forget that to be sustainable in business as an independent, you've got to be able to pay the bills. And that kind of concept of sustainability means the the ability to keep doing something over and over without financial sustainability, these labels won't be able to do that. Talk about how what that means to you. You use this phrase, we believe in providing a solid infrastructure for economic and regenerative income for our brand partners. Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, it's often linked to the environment and, and in terms of how people think about sustainability. I think in its broadest sense, sustainability really means to support something continuously over time or maintain it. Um, and I think maintain is such a key word uh, and people often overlook those aspects of social and economic uh, improvement and empowerment as well. Um, I think sustainability is kind of a very ongoing and iterative journey. You know, perfection or perfectly sustainable does not exist. A brand really does need to strike that balance between ethics, you know, core values, Speaking about sustainability and speaking about financial sustainability, it comes to my mind that an issue is always the capacity to become profitable and to generate enough cash in, in, in the right time. And the fact also that there is always an issue at the very beginning to finance the working capital of these young brands, mm -hmm. because there's an issue of cost of capital in the continent, mm -hmm. which is high, which is higher than in Europe. 
And that's an issue also of investors who want to see cash and returns quite soon. Mm-hmm. So having this and having a sustainability perspective in the sense of ESG, of environment, of social, mm-hmm. does it create conflicting purposes? That Does it create a conflict in between the need to achieve financial sustainability as soon as possible and that of implementing ESG discipline all over the business? But- that's an issue with all young brands that Indeed. they don't have pockets of deep pockets in order to fund all the amazing mm-hmm. innovations that Indeed. you'd have Indeed. if you were big, yeah, right? I, I don't know. I Where does it agree. lie? I completely agree. But it's an issue which is particularly big in the continent because of the cost of capital. Mm. If you want to do pre-ship, pre-shipping finance in Burkina Faso, you go to 15 or 16% interest rate which is prohibitive for a young brand. So how to finance the working capital? And But at the same time, the fact that you want to be sustainable and you adopt an ESG discipline and these young creatives, it seems to me, are very keen on that. Well, this obliges you to invest and to invest more because biomaterials are more expensive, mm-hmm. because natural processes are longer and more expensive. So there may be uh, sometimes a trade-off in between Uh, Am I mistaken or or how do you have this discussion? How do you frame this discussion with the creatives and the brands you work with? No, it's absolutely true. I think, I think, especially in Africa, when you're looking at investors that that sort of look to the continent to to sort of put their dollar uh, uh, within it, they they always look for a high return. And unfortunately, fashion does not fit into the narrative of high return. Fashion brands. You know the 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 return the the investment might be minimal, but the return is incredibly long term, and that's not just brands; it's also platforms, it's also entrepreneurs. Um, so, so I one hundred percent agree. It's kind of this 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 struggle between um, you know what came first. Do we need to sort of have people who are altruistically investing in in this in these businesses, but at the same time, these these businesses need to also be recognized for what they are for for really strong and valuable long-term plays um and you have so many so many um you know uh, i guess initiatives that are doing that with the african fashion foundation and ifac and Verimian, and everyone is is looking to invest in the continent and, and accelerate skill capacity and skill development um for these designers without the ne- necessary short-term promise of financial return and and that's something you just have to be comfortable with i think as an investor who's looking into the continent mm. so do, do you think a sustainable approach is intrinsic to to the process that and of, of, of to the business planning and business and the investment and the management of uh, some of these young creatives and brands you work with Without a doubt. I mean, many don't subscribe to a traditional fashion calendar or have cookie cutter distribution strategies. A lot of it is powered through through engaging, you know, their communities. Um, I mentioned, you know, previously that there's an inherent slowness in, in, in sort mm-hmm. of African fashion. I think one of the perhaps key parts that's missing is, you know, a lack of measurable uh, tools 
for sustainability. So transparency is a really tough one, I think, that African designers do face. You know, we don't have the sort of means or access to those highly expensive materials or organic, organically certified materials or, um, you know, innovations that are, might be readily available or ways to measure water use. I mean, that is not something that, that you'll see in, in, in within our communities. So, translating that tangible prog the progress into measurable goals for a communication strategy with for your customer base can be challenging for brands. So while I think there's so much to to kind of celebrate uh, because you know art artisanship, you know upcycling and recycling, fair wages for short-term workers, all that stuff is is so um, implicit I think to to the brands that reside and, and are born of the continent. Taking a step back to financial sustainability, do you see a role for angel investors in supporting and investing in sustainable new creative businesses in the continent? I specifically say angel investors because somebody says that uh, VC, venture capital people, invest for in one company for every 400 Uh, proposals they receive while angel investors they say they invest in one company every 40 proposals mm -hmm. they receive it's a matrix i, I read somewhere on <laughs> on, uh, on 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 an investment uh, magazine but do do you see a role for angel investors in this sector of yours i do believe that there can be if this is a remit i mean it obviously depends on the investor and and what their strategy is and in terms of ownership um i do believe that brands need strategic value beyond just just the finances when it comes to business when it comes to um when it comes to production when it comes to supply chain when it comes to um a, a network of of uh of mechanisms to plug in to i believe you can't just sort of angel investors without a bigger strategic vision of, of how they plan to invest on the continent um say it might be a number of brands it might be a brand and an and and an you know e-commerce platform and perhaps an app that supports something else with a logistics arm you know i mean if and you're angels from africa Do you see a role for them, angels from the continent, from inside the continent? Because it's a continent where money circulates. There are mm -hmm. countries in which you have quite an amount of money going around. You have a lot of create rich creative businesses. Just think about uh, uh, Nollywood in Nigeria, but many others. So is it possible that we do not find angel investors from the continent that are interested in supporting this sector? I think it's, it's a provocation. It's a very tough question. No, it's a, <laughs> no, it's a tough question, but I think that we just have to be candid with the answer. Um, I think yes. that I think that African investors, personally, I don't feel like they. I think they're risk averse, and this is not a safe investment. The sector is not a safe investment. It, it's not. A, it's not a tech play, if you will. It's not. Uh, it's not. Um, you know mobile money related these are these are it's not mobile money it's not raw materials mm -hmm. it's nana but it's something but it's also something that is uh, uh, the obstacle is also that they need to know more about this business and to have an understanding of this so maybe mm -hmm. a platform like yours can also play the role of educating this kind of this class of investors to what is a fashion brand, what is the profitability, what to understand, what to know in order to evaluate a business proposal there. Agreed. Would it be possible? 
Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. (laughs) I I absolutely think Industry Africa has a role to play in that because I believe that we're doing something beyond just just ordinary retail. We're doing something beyond ordinary e-commerce. You know, we're creating a foundational resource that interweaves consumer ideals, industry ideals, a more shop informed experience when it comes to shopping, learning, engaging. And I think that's that's a really beautiful thing. Right now, there is without doubt a kind of obsession, I think, with African creatives, with Europe in particular, waking up to design talent on the continent. Before we were recording, we were mentioning the big exhibition at the V&A in London of African designers. What, what do you think is driving this and what's your take on it? I think it can sort of boil down to a few things. I, I don't think these are the sole things. They're, they're likely to be a lot of uh, small factors, but one of the biggest changes that I've personally seen in the last few years has been sort of this inward shift in the direction of creative and intellectual Pan-Africanism. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think the world has sort of shifted towards respecting African design, largely because African design began to respect itself. And I think the last few years have seen important dialogues like that take place. And and with the advent of social media and the internet and cross-border conversation, pan-African conversation, um, we've we've really seen sort of that that come, uh, that voice become stronger and stronger from within. Um, The second thing that I would say has really contributed, I would say the rise of the conscious consumer has been an incredible um, driver people like to be educated about their purchases. They like to align their luxury purchase decisions with their own human values. And I think that, you know, that's where you're seeing this uh, intersection start to appear where people are shopping thoughtfully and they're shopping consciously. That, that's at least the feedback that we get from our customers. You know, um, they enjoy the transparency and the authenticity of the stories that we're telling them. Do you think that there's also kind of a, uh, because there's been more interest from the media in looking out or seeking out emerging African design talent, there are just more names out there that people are chasing? I don't know. What do you think? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a big one. But I think that appeared perhaps prior to, to some of the things that I just mentioned. Um, as I mentioned, we started in 2017 to build the platform, um, the initial iteration of the platform at least. And that's when, you know, you were seeing Black Panther take a mainstream um, stage. You were seeing, um, mm. you know, people come, you know, certain designers come come into come into the mainstream spotlight, you know. And then in more recent years, you, you started to see people like Beyonce and uh, Naomi Campbell sort of champion designers and and tell their stories so i think i think we we were we were seeing that that particular pr uh element come in quite aggressively but i think the follow-through was what with was actually what was lacking and the follow-through meaning the actual sales element of it and so that that's why i feel in recent years we've we've kind of um leaned towards that more we spoke so much about fashion. Now I want to ask about your journey into fashion. <laughs> I know that you studied at Parsons. I know that you worked at Vogue. But how did you come to do? How have you come to do what you do today? Yeah. Um, so I think I've always been maybe a little bit of a storyteller. 
Um, I was born and raised in Tanzania as a fourth generation Tanzanian to Indian heritage parents. And my upbringing was largely Tanzania, Tanzania. Tanzania ni nyumbani kwa wewe. Oh, sindio. Ndio, sindio. Nyumbani <laughs> yangu. I said Tanzania is home for you. She said, "Yes, of course." <laughs> please, please. Yeah, I mean it's it's such a multicultural, you know, beautiful city that's that has shaped my view of the world, of diversity, of identity. And and this is I think and and I think this is something that is perhaps native to East Africa, but identity is such a pluralistic thing and, and sort of rich rich uh rich concept and and that's i think what has really instilled in me growing up here in this mix of swahili and indian culture um mm-hmm. after high school i'd say you know i i wouldn't say that fashion was a it was a huge passion of mine at the time because perhaps it was an unex, unexplored passion you know we didn't really have that sort of creative outlets here um beyond some of the more mainstream um uh, hobbies i guess um so i left dar salaam to to nyc uh and i eventually went on to work at conde nast in new york but more significantly for me emerging markets like mumbai and dubai oh yeah and and through those experiences fashion became sort of second nature to me you know i cultivated this hunger to thrive and make my mark within it but i think what is perhaps more interesting is every experience that has been imprinted in me through these through these different contexts and environments and and uh, industries is has been sort of something unique you know where it really began was perhaps the role of digital media because digital i think was kind of coming up at the time yes. you know we we would sort of yes. taken that shift from purely print which is when i was at Vogue US American Vogue we were we were sort of doing yes. the more traditional boards and and everything else when i moved to bombay when i moved to work at vogue india it started to to become more and more important how influential media but what also how dem- democratic digital media was in these newer more dynamic emerging markets um and and really the power of media in creating communities and transforming societal and cultural perceptions and and being ambassadors cultural ambassadors yes. aesthetic ambassadors for a market like that is a really powerful thing so it kind of led to my journey back home to Tanzania um and you know which I did so in 2016 and uh, and after sort of realizing the gaps and how difficult it was to to navigate the regional space it just it just you know spur this this uh this plan this project that made me think about something i read in the cut where you talked about when you began industry africa in 2018 you'd really hoped to address these misconceptions and stereotypes about what african design was where african i guess also digital progress was headed how do you think things have progressed now it was a couple of years ago when you said that to the cut what do you think in 2022 have things really changed I think of course you know it it would be it would be wrong to say that they haven't the misconceptions have not just been global but they've also been regional on a regional level um which is important to acknowledge um so to an extent you know especially in niche industry well fashion industry and fashion savvy circles I would have certainly say there's been a positive and more nuanced shift towards being more educated and this means being able to identify and distinguish between sort of 
you know, tailor-made occasion wear, ceremonial garb, curio wear, and high-end designer ready-to-wear from the continent. And I think, um, you know, you really are seeing people understand that distinction a little bit more. Um, but I do believe still in the mainstream, there is a long way to go. So I'm striving for Industry Africa to play a huge role in being a part of that transformation. Mm-hmm. And it's really important to me. Uh, yeah, just to close our conversation, I wanted to mention that you are going to give a class to our accelerator for emerging designers and you will be there with the master class. So in your opinion, what, sh- what are the hot topics in fashion education for young and emerging designers today? Give us two points. Ooh. Two, oh my goodness. Two, oh my goodness. Three <laughs> we have a framework here. Okay. Um, so, I mean, my business partner and director of IA Connect, which is our upcoming industry insights and knowledge ho- uh, hub, her name is Frederica Brooksworth, and she would be much better at answering yes. this question. Um, but I will give it a shot. I think. Um, I yes. I mean, the, the, it's quite diverse. Yes, you have no choice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Endorsing them. I'll give you a shot. <laughs> I think a, a lot of students and a lot of young, aspiring fashion individuals look at the industry as, as purely design-oriented. So I think mm. it's really important to distinguish beyond fashion design and in recognizing the various ways in which one can succeed professionally within this industry. I think what people are missing is accessible resources relevant to their subject matter on the continent. You know, I think it's important to be able to support the industry with internships and work experiences and opportunities that allow them to upskill themselves and allow them to have really firsthand knowledge of how the industry works at a local level. Um, so they can take that theory and put it into practice. Um, mm. I think uh, something else that, that sort of needs to be done perhaps is um, having regionally accessible fashion schools update their curriculums beyond Western uh, leaning yes. lessons. They need to be ensuring that they equip future generations of African fashion students and, and fashion students in, in various emerging markets, to be honest, with essential knowledge and skills to meet the standards uh, and uh, that the industry really demands. We are just not pushing that enough, in my opinion. I remember in a previous conversation, Claire and I had with the late Virgil Abloh and the great Virgil Abloh, he was mentioning how his career in fashion had started with an internship in a major fashion brand in Europe. So exactly what you said now. That also that ties up with the theme of this series, which is around ESG, but I'm calling it the sustainability edition. But I think we also need to see more focus on the sustainability and measurable, actionable plans for sustainability being embedded into these brands on an education level. I mean, that is so far from what we're getting. Often students, especially in the design area, in indeed, every country, indeed. fail to be educated on sustainability at all. Mm-hmm. Absolutely mm-hmm. agree. Absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. And on this note, Claire Press and I say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you can. it's done. <laughs> so, so, right. so it's <laughs> 
I love it. I love it, guys. Thank you for engaging in this slightly chaotic interview process with us, Nisha <laughs> Kanabar. We're very grateful to you. It's been fun. Thank you. It's been really fun and uh, it's been a real conversation. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for for having me. And honestly, I'm I'm so honored to be in this room with both of you and being able to have these really important conversations. Thank you for listening, my friends. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at ethicalfashioninitiative.org and we are on Instagram at ethicalfashion.